darkness filled the sky the day that Jesus died in agony upon the bitter cross. They took his body down and laid it in a tomb. His friends believed that everything was lost. But when the third day came, the darkness turned to light. For Mary heard her name and saw the living Christ risen to set the captives free. Some you and me to find up every broken heart to conquer death and sin risen to bring us home again and in that barren place the world forever changed for hope was born when Jesus rose that day, and still his wounded hands reveal the love he has for every fallen soul he came to save. And he will come again, and one by one we'll rise to praise his holy name. And see the living Christ risen To set the captives free Risen To ransom you and me To bind up every broken heart To conquer death and sin Risen To bring us home again Alleluia, he is risen to set the captives free. Oh, he is risen to ransom you and me, to bind up every broken heart, to conquer death and sin. Take your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Please, Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. What a wonderful message we've been reminded of all throughout today. I, I love the focus so clearly being placed on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we love Him 
because he first loved us. And uh, you sang like that this morning, so great job singing. And Trio, great job singing just a moment ago. Uh, thank you for your testimony and living out those truths. It's been a great encouragement to us. It was, uh, It's fun to preach to people who love you. And as I was watching them watch you, um, it's very obvious that they love you. And uh, so thank you for loving us back. Acts chapter 2, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, to set apart an Easter Sunday for special memory of the resurrection is a human device for which there's no scriptural command. But to make every Lord's Day a resurrection Sunday is due to him who rose early on the first day of the week. So the Bible tells us that after our Lord and Savior died, and was buried and rose again that third day, uh, which was uh, the first day of the week, Sunday, the churches began to meet on the first day of the week. That became the norm norm because of the resurrection. It happened on that day. And that has carried on through today. And that's why we meet on, on Sundays as we do. And it's not just, um, though this day is very special, it's not just Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday that is a special day. Every Sunday of uh, every week of the year is an incredibly special day, and that's why we, we gather as we do. Do you know that our, our country, our society has been influenced by the resurrection of Christ, whether they realize it or not? Uh, the way our, our weekly calendar is set up um, the work week in the United States of America is set up with Sunday being a day of rest for most people, uh, unless they're in some sort of a helps type of service like uh, police work or nurse nurses and sometimes doctors and things like that. Um, but the work week is set up all because of the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ taking place on the first day of the week. Um, another person said this, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are precious to me, he's wrote, because they turned my life into a string of successes, not because it, it turned my life into a string of successes, but because they keep me from collapsing under my string of failures, speaking about the power of the cross and the power of the resurrected Christ living within us. And so every Sunday... We ought to gather, we ought to assemble, we ought to step away from normal activities, normal everyday weekly activities. We ought to assemble as a church, a group of people, and that's what we have here today. Most of you uh, claim and profess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and that he is your personal Savior. And what are we doing? We're corporately worshiping him. We're singing praises, we're glorifying him, we're lifting him up publicly as a group of people. And we have some who have been saved for many, many years and others who have been saved only for a few years. But we are corporately worshiping and lauding and applauding our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we find it's the day of Pentecost. I'll begin reading in verse number 22. Peter is preaching... And um, the people that he's preaching to, some are saved, uh, they're disciples of Christ, and others who are there, and there were many who were there, um, were unsaved. Look at verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. I'll read down through verse 38. The Bible says this, Peter's preaching, he says, Ye men of Israel, 
Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face that he is on my right hand and that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Peter continues in verse 28 after quoting, Uh, from the Psalms, and he says in verse 28, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that that God had sworn it with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this, before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into, into the heavens, But he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, the Bible says they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission that is the pardon, the forgiveness of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Would you pray with me this morning, and then we'll look at this passage um, as Peter preached these truths about the resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for these wonderful truths that we have been singing to you and about you. Uh, Lord, I pray for each of us this morning that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word. Lord, I pray that some would be encouraged and strengthened. Lord, others, I pray that there would be this pricking, this conviction that is spoken about in this passage, lest we continue um, rejecting you. So, Father, I pray that you'd be glorified by the preaching of your word and how it is received in the hearts of your people. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. During the early life of the church, so shortly after Christ had been raised from the dead and then was ascended to the right hand of the Father, 
In the early years of the church, the resurrection was the theme. It was talked about continually. Uh, that and his, his return. It was talked about continually. I don't know that we talk about the resurrection or the return of Christ or the kingdom of Christ where he will rule and reign for all of eternity enough in our day. It's something we ought to talk about with our children and our grandchildren um, and our spouses and our church family. We ought to talk about these things. And the resurrection was the theme in the early church. And here in Acts, Acts chapter 2, the church is gathering and Peter is preaching and there are other people that are there as well and they begin to flock to what uh, where the church is gathered and where Peter is preaching. And chapter 4, Peter preaches again. In chapter 10, Peter preaches again. And he always seems to be preaching on the resurrection of Christ. In chapter 7 of the book of Acts, Stephen is preaching on the resurrection. In chapter 8 in the book of Acts, Philip is preaching on the resurrection. The resurrection is preached in chapters 9 and chapter 13 and on all the way through chapter 28 of the book of Acts where we find Paul preaching the resurrection. In the epistles, um, the resurrection is the primary theme of the epistles. And I want to consider three realities from this, this passage of Scripture, which is a, re- a record of Peter's sermon to these people on the day of Pentecost. But I want to notice for you three realities of the resurrection. Three realities of the resurrection. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is certain. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is certain. Look at verse 22. And even in verse 22, you're going to see that there were eyewitnesses that are present. Look at verse 22, the beginning part. He says, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. I'm going to pause there for a few minutes. But Peter identified Jesus the way that they knew him. Uh, He calls him Jesus of Nazareth, a man. That's how these people that Peter was talking to knew Jesus. He was from Nazareth. Jesus was from Nazareth. He was a man, and they couldn't deny those facts. In fact, when Jesus died, they put him on the cross. And remember what they put on the sign above his head on the cross? Uh, King of the Jews, and they put Jesus of Nazareth. So this was a fact. He was a man. His name was Jesus. He was from Nazareth. And on that cross, they put Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And why did they do that? Were they trying to honor him? Not at all. It was, uh, they were mocking him. They were mocking the Jews, for that matter. Uh, the Romans were mocking the Jews. And really, it was Pilate's sarcasm that did it. They thought Jesus was a common Ordinary man from a low, despicable, middle-of-nowhere town named Lazarus, or named Nazareth. Okay, that's where they thought. That's where they thought. Uh, that's what they thought of Jesus. They thought he was nothing. And you remember the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jews, uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, and the chief priests, and the temple police, and the, all, much of the priesthood. Some had believed, but many of them had schemed and planned to kill Jesus. And now, in our in this passage, Peter confronts them with the historical fact, uh, the historical life of Jesus. He was a man with a name, 
from a real town. In fact, he was, he was the least of men. He was a carpenter, the Bible tells us. His father had been a carpenter. Um, scholars teach us that carpentry in, in Israel at that time would not have been um, working with wood. It would have been working with stone. Okay? It would have been like a stonemason. He was a poor man. He owned basically nothing. And he was a man that they thought that they could kill. He was a man that they thought that they could kill and never have to think about ever again. And Peter reminds them of this man named Jesus of Nazareth. And they couldn't deny it. They knew him. And Peter goes further. Look at verse 22 again, the latter part. He goes further. He says this, This man Jesus was approved by God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you. In other words, Peter is saying, look, he was a man, you saw him, you saw him, you heard him, you touched him, but he was more than just a man. He was approved, the Bible says, and that's used to refer to someone who is placed in the position of an office. Look at verse 22 of the latter part again, he says, as you yourselves also know. In other words, Jesus really lived. He really did incredible miracles that were of God, and they knew that it was true. I was reading in John 11 this week where uh, Jesus comes back to uh, Bethany where uh, Lazarus had died. And uh, he raises Lazarus from the dead. You know, Open, open the grave. And then he calls Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Before he said that, Martha had said to Jesus, uh, he's been dead four days. And he said, and she tells him, and this is Lazarus' sister. Lazarus' sister tells Jesus, by this time he stinketh. Like, don't, open the, don't open the tomb. And Jesus says, open the tomb. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. And, and Jesus raised dead people and he gave them life again. And Jesus made blind people see and he made lame people walk. But after he raised Lazarus from the dead, later on in that text in John chapter 11, the Bible records for us that from that time on, the chief priests saw it. They began to plan to kill him because they knew if this man is this powerful and he can do this kind of, these kind of miracles, all of Israel is going to believe upon him and follow him. And they didn't want to lose their own power, their own political clout and power. And so from that point on, they began to make plans to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. So they hated him. And, and here is Peter, and he's preaching to them, and he's reminding of them that they, you know of the incredible miracles that Jesus did. He was approved. You yourselves also know. You know that the audience that Peter was preaching to included some of the executioners of Jesus. Look at verse 23. He says in the latter part of verse 23, Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He's talking to them. He says, you took him. You took him. You hunted him. You connived. You met. You planned. You worked to, to try to kill him. And they did on many occasions try to do that. 
see, they were not only eyewitnesses, he says, but you're actually the executioners of Jesus. Peter goes further. Look at verse 24, the beginning part. He says, whom God hath raised up. Now, they knew that Jesus was a man. They knew he was from Nazareth. Uh, they knew that he had the power of God upon him. They knew that he could do incredible, incredible miracles. And they also knew that he had died and they had killed him. And Peter reminds them of all of those things. And then in that, that verse, the beginning of verse 24, he tells them God has raised him up. Now, if you're the murderer of Jesus, and I say that in this sense, they murdered him in their hearts. Okay, the Bible tells us that Jesus gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. And in that sense, no one killed Jesus. Je Jesus gave up his life willingly. He willingly gave his life to die for you and for me and for the sins of the whole world. But on the other sense, or the other hand, the, the, the men who had connived and sought to put him to death, they had murdered him time and time and time again in their hearts. And finally, they got what they wanted, not in their time frame, but they got what they wanted. Jesus was dead. And if you're if, if there, can you imagine how they would have felt as they're thinking about this? Yes, he was a man. Yes, he's from Nazareth. Um, yes, he did many miracles. He was very impressive. Yes, we put him to death. And then to get to this statement, God has raised him up from the dead. He's alive. Would that comfort you if you were a murderer of Jesus? That would be troubling, wouldn't it? He's alive. He's alive, and Peter tells them, God hath raised him up. And, and the, it's interesting to me how this is laid out in the Word of God. It's just, it's just another fact, another historical fact regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is a person of history. He was not a victim of history. Look at verse 23, the beginning part. It's, again, it says, he was delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God. So they worked to kill him. But they weren't going to have a chance to kill him until God said, it is time for my son to die for the sins of the whole world. It was all God's divine plan, and it culminated in his resurrection. So just as real as Jesus was, and just as real as Nazareth was, and just as real as his life was, and just as real as his miracles were, and just as real as the, their eyewitness accounts proved him to be, as real as his pain and death was, so, uh, so too is his resurrection real. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is certain, and it's laid out for us in Scripture. Number two, I see the results of the resurrection are eternal. The results of the resurrection are eternal. What did the resurrection accomplish? And I'm going to, to give to you what, what the Holy Spirit led Peter to preach on this particular day in Acts chapter 2. I'll give you a few thoughts on what the resurrection accomplished. You see in verse 24, it, it reveals that death has been conquered. Death has been conquered. Look at again at verse 24. He says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Death is the enemy of mankind. And the just punishment for all of our sins is death. Romans 
tells us that in multiple places. The wages, the payment for sin is death. I mentioned in the early service that the mortality rate in Genesee County is 100%. And uh, in other words, everybody dies. Some are young and some are old. Some are healthy. What we would call a tragedy, unexpected death. And some live a long life or maybe succumb to a disease of some kind. But no amount of effort or medical technology or power or riches can escape the clutches of death. doesn't matter how wealthy someone is. They cannot buy their way out of death. They cannot escape it. doesn't matter how well someone takes care of their physical body. Maybe they, they only drink the water to the right amount and they never drink pop or they never drink name whatever you drink you like out there. They don't drink any of those things. Maybe they don't smoke or they don't chew tobacco or they don't do drugs of any kind. And um, It doesn't matter how well somebody takes care of their body. They're going to die physically. It, it's the way that it is. You can't escape it. There's kind of a morbid poem uh, that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote. I'll read it to you. It's about death. He wrote this. He said, there's a keen and grim old huntsman on a horse as white as snow. Sometimes he's very swift. Sometimes he's very slow. But he never is at fault, for he always hunts at view. He rides without a halt after you. <laughs> How's that? How would you like to read that before you go to bed at night? You know. The huntsman's name is Death, he writes. His horse's name is Time. He's coming. He's coming as I sit and write this rhyme. He's coming. He's coming as you read the rhyme I write. You can hear his hooves slow drumming day and night. <laughs> I hope you don't live like this. You can hear the distant drumming as the clock goes tick-a-tack, and the chiming of the hours is the music of his pack. You can hardly note their growling underneath the noonday sun, but at night you hear them howling as they run. And they never check or falter, or they never miss their kill. Seasons change and systems alter, but the hunt is running still. Hark! The evening chime is playing, or the long gray dawn it peals. Don't you hear the death? Hound baying at your heels. Mm, what a blessing. That's depressing, you know, terrible. But I suppose he's articulating every man's fear. But death couldn't hold Jesus. I mean, you think about that. Death could not hold him. Last night, the children had, were in bed or they had gone to bed and I think the boys were sleeping already, and so I went into the girls' room, and I just sat down with them just for a moment, and I just, I didn't stay long, I just said, tomorrow morning, when the sun comes up early, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that many years ago, on the first day of the week, early in the morning, as the sun, before it was breaking, Jesus Christ came out of the grave and he conquered death. He conquered death. I mean, we're talking power that is unhuman. No man can do this. You know, there, there was a battle between death and Jesus. And death lost. And Jesus won. Christ's resurrection means eternal life belongs to him and all 
who are in him. All who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and are in Christ. And we have his righteousness and we have eternal life. And we have no fear of death. In our flesh, there are some unknowns when it comes to death. But someone who believes the Bible and has the Lord Jesus Christ living inside of them, death is merely the passage to glory and to heaven. It's just a step. It's nothing to fear because we have everlasting life. Physical death is to begin a new life. I remember one pastor saying, you can't scare me with heaven. You know, in other words, if someone threatens to kill you, what are you going to do? If you kill me, you send me to heaven. I mean, it's, it's not, death is not something to fear for someone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. The grave is not the end, but it is the beginning. The grave is not sorrow only, but joy. Christ rose from the dead because death could no longer hold him. And death is no longer our enemy because in Christ we no longer have to fear the punishment that comes after death. Because Jesus Christ lives, we can say, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We no longer fear death because Jesus Christ conquered it. He conquered it. So what is the what are the results of the resurrection or what did it accomplish? Well, it, it, death has been conquered. But then also it confirms the truth of Scripture. It confirms the truth of Scripture. And notice in our text in verse 25 down through verse 31, Peter is quoting from Psalm 16 of verses 8 through 11. Look again at verse 25. And uh, this is written by King David in Psalms, uh, that the Jews, and it, it was accepted that it was a prophecy of the promised Messiah. Look again at verse 25. He says, For David speaketh concerning him, that is Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. The Greek is Hades, and the uh, Hebrew would be Sheol. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see Corruption. Um, in Psalm 138, in verse number 2, the Bible tells us that God lifts up His word above His holy name. Listen to what it says. It says, Thou hast magnified Thy word above all Thy name. That's how valuable the word of God is to God. God says, My words are more valuable to me, to Him, 
than his name. And he tells us, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So God's name is very valuable. It is high. But God says that his words are uh, are to be valued and treasured even more than his name. God's word is pure. It's without error. What it says comes to pass in Isaiah 49 or 46 and verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And I just bring that up to say this, as we think about the results of the resurrection, it, the results of the resurrection are, um, it, it is proof that death has been conquered, but it also proves that the Bible is true. And as Peter is preaching, and the Spirit of God is he's filled with the Spirit of God, and he's preaching this message to these people that are gathering around him by the hundreds and more, and, and he's speaking these words of truth, the Spirit of God reminds him of this passage in Psalms where David had prophesied of the Messiah and what was going to happen. And what's he saying as Peter quotes from him? He's saying, that is the word of God. That is true. So in other words, if Jesus Christ never rose from the dead, then I wouldn't believe a word that is in this book. But because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it proves that this book is true. It proves that this book is true. Another reality of the resurrection is that Jesus Christ has been exalted. Look at verse 33, the beginning part. Verse 33, the beginning part says this in Acts 2. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. Hebrews 1 tells us that when he, Jesus, had by himself purged our sins, he sat down in the right hand of the majesty on high. That is a position of honor and authority. God the Father has honored his son, Jesus, because of Jesus' obedient sacrifice. In Philippians 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the, the outcome of the resurrection is that Jesus Christ has been exalted. He sits on the right hand of His Father. In Ephesians 1 and verse 20, the Bible says this, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the, to the church, which is His body, the church, His body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So, in Peter's sermon, he's making clear, as he quotes from David in the Old Testament in the Psalms, look at verse 34, he now makes it very clear, David wasn't talking about himself, he was talking about, he was talking about the Messiah. Look at verse 34. And David, Peter says, is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, 
Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. There's one more reality that Peter touches on about the reality of the resurrection, and that's in verse 32 and 33, and that is this, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, that is who the Holy Spirit is. He is the Spirit of Christ. He is working powerfully in those who have him. Those who have received Christ as their personal Savior, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, works powerfully in us. Look at verse 32. It says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Speaking of those who were saved. Look at verse 33, the beginning part. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. In John chapter 7, in verse 39, the Bible says the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. After Christ rose from the dead and after he was ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit to continue his work on earth. And this was obvious to the the, uh, assembled believers. It was obvious to all who were there that Jesus was alive and working in their midst. Christ's earthly ministry continues today through his people. The power of God is evident in how he works in our lives. He dwells in us by his spirit. Christ helps us today. He empowers us today by his spirit. He strengthens us for the daily, the things that we face on a daily basis. He convicts us. He guides us into the light that God desires. The working of the Holy Spirit in our midst is proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There's one last, one last uh, reality that Peter touches on. We see, first of all, the resurrection of Jesus is certain. He talked about that. Two, the results of the resurrection are eternal. And thirdly, the response to the resurrection brings God glory and honor. Res- the response to the resurrection brings God glory and honor. Look at verse 37. He says, now when they had heard this, they were pricked. That means to pierce uh, almost almost, uh, violently. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So they hear this. They hear that Jesus, a man of Nazareth, that lowly town that you think so little of. Um, You killed him. You hunted him. You connived. You, you, uh, You paid the price of a slave to Judas. And you came up right to the Garden of Gethsemane with all of your men. And Jesus stood up to meet them and said, whom seek ye? And uh, and they said, Jesus. And he says, I am. And they all fall to the ground with the words, by the very words of Almighty God in human flesh. And Peter's reminding them, this was you. you. You put him to death. You hated him. But God has raised him up. He is alive. So how are they going to respond to this? And the Bible says they were pricked. Were pricked violently. In other words, they came under this intense conviction. 
They were the ones. They killed him. He was the Messiah. And it's one of those moments that I think we've all experienced, maybe not to this degree, but in severe degrees we've experienced this. When we're, we're cruising along, you know, we're doing our thing, and we've excused our way of life or how we're responding or handling something. And then the Spirit of God brings in conviction into our hearts and our lives, and there's this sense of, ooh, dread, fear. What, am I, what have I done? What am I doing? And this is where they were. And they asked Peter, what shall we do? What should we do? I mean, what have we done? I mean, this is terrible. And, and it brings me to this question, what, what is your response of the re- to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I think it's possible to listen to the certainty of Jesus' resurrection, and that is good. I think it's possible to consider the outcome of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I think that is good. But to what is our response? to How do we respond to the, the facts of the resurrection? How do we respond to the outcomes of the resurrection that Jesus Christ is alive and he's sitting on the right hand of the Father He's going to come back someday. He's going to rule and reign for all of eternity. This world is so upside down. There's so much hatred and sin in this world. And all of us in this room, even we who are saved still in this old flesh, we still sin. Someday the Lord Jesus Christ is going to make all things right. And those who have rejected him, he is going to judge. And those who have received him by faith, believing him to be who the Bible says he is, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And for all those who have believed on his name, there's coming a day where Jesus Christ is going to reward. And even as we've learned on Sunday nights, he is going to praise you individually for following him. He's going to to make everything right, but what do we do? How do we respond to this resurrection? You've got born-again believers who are here assembled around Peter, according to verse 1. The power of the Spirit of God is upon them. You can read about that in verse 8. Peter is preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the unsaved people who who had previously rejected Christ and even put him to death, they respond to this message, and they're pricked, they're pierced suddenly in their hearts. And it was as if the unbelievers who heard the sermon were stabbed in the heart with the truth. And this is interesting to me, because they saw him. They saw him. They had seen him. I think many of them had heard him preach. But it was this was like, this was new. This was like for the very first time. They they comprehended something that they had never comprehended before. God brought them to a place where all of a sudden their eyes are opened and the Bible says that they responded in verse 37, the the end. They say unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And I think they were desperate. Why did they say, what shall we do? Well, I think they said that because they realized now, for the very first time, they had killed their Messiah. I think 
I think strength left their bodies. I think their, their hearts just about melted. I think they were terrified. And they say, what shall we do? I think there's another reason why they would have said this. They knew that Jesus was alive. God hath raised him up. Okay, it's one thing to realize I've made a mistake. In their case, we killed the Messiah, the promised one of Israel. It's another thing to realize I've made a mistake. In their case, you've killed the promised one of Israel and he's come back from the dead. Like that's troubling. I'm going to have to. He's alive. He's alive. And the Bible talks about him being seated on the right hand of his father and some and, and his in the world and the earth being his footstool. You know, the world. I mean, what do you have in your living room to when you relax, you know, and you, you put your feet up on something, you know? And the picture is almost of the Lord, you know, putting his feet up on the earth. Okay. This is how grand, this is how immense, this is how powerful, this is how wondrous he is. I think there was another reason they were afraid and they said, what shall we do? And that's because they were afraid of of Jesus Christ judging them. And please hear me, Jesus died for you. He died for the sins of the whole world. He arose from the dead. He's coming back as a judge. He's coming back as a king. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ will someday judge every man. Jesus is going to bring every man to life from the grave. He's going to bring the just and the unjust out of their graves. The saved and the lost. And some he's going to raise to the resurrection of life. And some he's going to raise to the resurrection of eternal judgment. There's no escaping standing before him. There's no escaping him. It's interesting in this room, perhaps there are people responding to this message and this truth, these truths the way these people had. A time when they scoffed at him. They just looked at him as someone who was competing for um, their lives, how they were going to live their lives. You know, he's, he's in competition. And that they talked about him like this. You know, he's, he's raising people from the dead. He can feed the 5,000. He can do all these amazing things. And they looked at him as somebody they were in competition with. The, the people are going to follow him because he's more powerful and they like him better than they like us. So we need to kill him so we can retain power. You know, in our society today, it's not a matter of People are not looking to kill Jesus, although I think they would if they could. But I do believe that there is a competition. Well, if I believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then he will have he will be the one who has the say in my life for what I do and how I live my life. I do not want anybody else telling me how I should live my life. I want to have the authority, I want to have the power, I want to be the one who's in control. They hated Jesus because he was a threat to their way of lives, their way of living. And I do believe people today hate Jesus because they view him as a threat to their way of living. 
Look at verse 37. Again, they cried, what shall we do? They are so overwhelmed with this sense of deep guilt because of the resurrection, because of the rejection of Jesus Christ. They have this fear of standing before the Lord, the supreme authority of heaven and earth, and they were ready to do something about it. And maybe that's you this morning. You're ready to do something about it. You've rejected him and you're coming under the realization this morning that he lives and that he is going to rule as king of kings and lord of lords and that your life is short and you need him. You're going to answer to him. And we ought, we ought to consider our lives. Do we stand with those who rejected Jesus? Do you stand with them today? Do you reject him as Savior and Lord? Because if a person rejects Jesus as Savior, there is no other salvation And rejecting Jesus Christ is like crucifying him all over again. Hebrews 6 and verse 6 says, If they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Do we understand the depth? The depths of rejecting Jesus Christ? Do we understand that? Do we fear the wrath of God? Because if your heart longs for victory over sin and over death, if you long for eternal life that only Jesus Christ can bring, then God has an answer for this question, this important question. What shall we do? And in verse 38, the beginning part, look at what is said. Then Peter said unto them, repent. Repent. Change your mind. Change your mind. Change your mind from rejecting him. Change your mind from uh, belittling him, demeaning him, despising him. Oh, you know, he, he, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's in the Bible, right? Adam's in the Bible and David's in the Bible. David and Goliath, right? Yeah, I believe in him. Change your mind from looking at Jesus as just a Bible story. Change your mind from just looking at Jesus as somebody who's in your way or in your way of living your life the way you want to live it and see him for who he is. God, who loved you enough to die in your place and become your sin and my sin. He became our sin. And in exchange, him taking away our sins or becoming our sins, he promises to give us his righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness so that we can be made the righteousness of God in him, so that we can be accepted of God the Father, so that we can go to heaven someday to be with him for all of eternity. God became our sin. In Romans 10, verse 9, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Is that you this morning? Is there anyone here? You don't have to raise your hand, but you'd say, I'm Pastor Ferguson, I'm like these people. I've been living my whole life, and I've gone to church, and I've gone to Easter services, and, and I've done some charitable things, and I've tried to live a good life, but Pastor Ferguson, something is different today. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's 
it was the singing, or I don't know if it was breakfast, or I don't know if it was the sermon. I don't know what it is, but this morning I I realized that I am a sinner, and I realized that God became my sin on the cross and died my death. He suffered my punishment, and he rose again. He conquered death and hell. And Pastor Ferguson, I, I need I need Christ to save me. What do I need to do? And, that, and that's what he's saying. He's answering this question in Romans 10.9. Agree with God about who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. He says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And that's what Peter told these people. He says, Repent. You, 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 you've lived for so long not believing in Him. He has done all these miracles. He had no sin in His life. He loved everybody He met and everybody He knew, which is everybody. He loved everybody. And you hated Him. And you killed Him. You viewed Him as an opposition to your way of life. And He lives. And here's the amazing thing about the love of God, if you were God and these kind of people had killed your son that you sent to die in their place to save them from all their sin, their sin of rejection of him, and rebellion and hatred and arrogance. and If you were God and you sent your son to die for these people and they hated him, they rejoiced when he died. Would you offer them forgiveness? Yes or no? And this is the love of God. This is his love. He loves you. And he loves me even when we fail him. And he loves a world of people who are lost and don't know him. Who have never heard of him. He loves the the very people. Who killed him. And God tells them through Peter, repent. Change your mind from unbelief and rejection to one of belief. Believe upon him and you will be saved. And he goes on to say, and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know, through the, resur- res- through the resurrection, we have been made the righteousness of God. Through the resurrection, we have peace with God. Because of the resurrection, we stand in grace. Because of the resurrection, we have hope of glory. We have hope of honor someday. Because of the resurrection, we receive the fullness of, of, of the love of God, and he loves us to the max, the maximum of his ability. These are the benefits of the resurrection. The resurrection is the main event of Christianity. It is the main event of the Bible. So what are the realities? Well, the resurrection of Jesus is certain. The results of the resurrection are eternal. And the response to the resurrection brings God glory and honor. What is your response? What is your response? Do you want him to have his way in your life? 
do you acknowledge your need, that you need his power on a daily basis for believers? Do you believe that you needed him to die, be buried, and be raised from the dead so that you could receive the forgiveness of sins? All of them. And if so, have you done that? Before we sing, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. How many of you would say with a lifted hand this morning, Pastor Ferguson, I know that I'm saved. I have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I am trusting in Christ alone to save me from my sin. I'm not depending upon a a decision I made when I was a child or a prayer that I prayed or good intentions or or uh, being nice or kind or being a best citizen that I can be, you'd say, Pastor Ferguson, I am saved because I believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for me, he was buried for me, and he rose from the dead, and he lives for me, and he lives in me, and I know that. I am a child of God. If that is you, would you raise your hand that I can see it this morning? Heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Thank you, May. Put those hands down. Many hands were raised. I praise God for that. If you're here this morning and you couldn't raise your hand, I appreciate your honesty. This really is a decision between you and the Lord. You know, I believe that God brought these people to a point of decision. They responded, what must we do? And I told you, the answer is repent. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith and your trust and your confidence for the forgiveness of your sins, for everlasting life, not in you, but in the resurrected living Christ. Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor Ferguson, I want to receive Christ this morning. I want to receive him right now. I understand that only he can save my soul from death and hell to come, and that I need him for everlasting life, and I see that he is the resurrected Christ. And Pastor Ferguson, I can't fully explain everything, but I want to, I am believing in him right now. If that's you, could could I see your hand with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around? Pastor Ferguson, would you pray for me? I am believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time right now. Is there anyone like that at all in this room? Heads bowed and eyes closed. To believers, then I speak. How are you responding to the resurrected Christ who lives inside of you, who's leading and guiding and teaching you? Are you following him? Are you yielding to him? I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Tomina, he's going to come and lead us in a a closing hymn. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for each person who is here. Thank you for how we have been blessed and encouraged. Thank you uh, for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for your goodness. And Lord, thank you that Christ lives inside of us. Uh, We praise you for that. And we are blessed because of it beyond measure. Uh, May you be glorified in our hearts now as we sing. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.